Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. G'day everyone and welcome to On The Grid, your weekly fix of motorsport with a down-under perspective. Each week we'll talk to the leading lights of Aussie motorsport, unpick the key issues, discuss the trending topics and have some fun along the way. From supercars to the Bathurst 12-hour and everything in between, and I mean everything, this is On The Grid. Now, here's the show's host with the most, Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Thank you for joining us for another week of Australian motor racing. Big show coming up today. We'll speak to Mark Winterbottom, who had a fantastic weekend, round one of the Supercar Series, starting at Mount Panorama last weekend. And we'll find out uh, how he and his team are uh, going to continue that right throughout the year. Garth Tandor also to join us to wrap up what has been a big weekend of motor racing. And Mark Walker as well to join myself and Richard Crail for a chat a little bit later on. But straight into the news and the Mount Panorama 500 weekend kicked off the supercar season. The action-packed weekend saw Shane Van Gisbergen victorious in both races, ending with a perfect 300 points up for grabs. Van Gisbergen finished race one, 1.4 seconds ahead of second place Chas Mostert and followed by Will Davison in third and was clearly happy with his day one outcome. Yeah, what an what a awesome day. Chas was obviously fast at the end but I wasn't really pushing but yeah, we got a better speed to find I think but yeah, what an awesome way to start and um, Red Bull Ampole Racing great car and awesome day with Couchy learning how we're working together and yeah awesome fun. However the day also saw crashes for Anton Di Pasquale of Dick Johnson Racing and Tim Slade of Tim Blanchard Racing. Slade's crash was a heartbreaker with only five laps remaining and on track for a top four finish. Slade was chasing Davison through the S's before dramatically crashing. Slade avoided injury thankfully but was clearly saddened that his weekend had come to an early end. Uh, yeah, well, I guess at, at the time you, you're sort of just thinking, did this really happen? Feels like a nightmare and you just want to wake up and have it all, all over. But uh, yeah, unfortunately it's reality and you've got to deal with it. But um, yeah, I'm just you know, massively gutted for um, you know, everyone in the Cool Drive Auto Parts Blanchard Racing Team. Um, you know, they've all put in a huge amount of work since the end of last year and they've all done an amazing job and you know every time we were on track I, I think we you know we were able to show that so I guess if there's any positives you know well there's lots of positives to take from the weekend it's a bit hard for me to sort of see that right now with the way I feel but um, yeah you know I'll take a little bit to get over it and then um, yeah there are like I said lots of positives to take but an awesome little team fast car and um, yeah we'll, we'll bounce back and, and make up for it at the next one. Di Pasquale had claimed a provisional pole but crashed at the cutting on lap seven. Another shock result from day one was Cam Waters who was a promising start slipping to a measly 20th on the finish grid after day one due to a power steering issue. This came as a real surprise to Van Gisbergen. Yeah, and I, I don't know what happened to Cam. He sort of started struggling and slowing down, so I caught him and then not sure what his problem was. But, um, yeah, I had clear air and a light car and managed to push. But, 
good first day. Day two, however, a far better day for Cam Waters, qualifying in second behind Van Gisbergen and ahead of Chaz Mostert, whose impressive weekend saw him come in second overall with 267 points, 33 behind the leader Van Gisbergen in the championship. Mark Winterbottom came in third, 231 points after a consistent weekend, followed by Will Davison, Jamie Winkup and Cam Waters. Waters led early on day two before Van Gisbergen took the lead in lap 15, following a pit stop from Waters. From there, Van Gisbergen was never headed, easing to a 6.1 second gap by the end of the day. Well, it wasn't a great start. It was a shocker. He got me, but uh, that's a team win, strategy win. The car was awesome. Unfortunately, can't battle on track, so we had to try and win it in the pit lane, and we did, and that middle stint was just insane. It was so cool to get such a good car and just push in clean air, but um, yeah, thanks to my team, Red Bull Lampole Racing. Great way to start the year. Yeah, you said on the radio on that in-lap that that middle stint is probably the best, best fun, yeah. best you've driven in a car in any race. Just yeah, well, explain ca- to us why. Oh, Couchy just asked me to make the gap and normally here you're managing tyres and everything and only had eight laps to do on those tyres, so just qualifying laps the whole time and watching a uh, subpar energy drink get smaller in the mirror was pretty cool, but um, hey, it's, it's awesome. And, and also to have fans here again as well and to win here with an atmosphere is awesome as well, so... Super stoked. Jack LeBrock, despite a respectable ninth place finish, had an uncomfortable weekend. The Tickford racing driver suffered a bad case of footburn due to an excessive hot pedal box. LeBrock struggled to make it to the end of the second race in the Super 2 series. Jordan Boys came out on top, followed by Zach Best and race one winner Brock Feeney. For the first time today, hello, Crazy. Hello, Shebex. How are you? Marvellous, mate. Marvellous. What a fantastic weekend of racing. Oh, it was bloody nice to be back at a racetrack, I tell you. And especially that one, what a way to start the year. And we're all wondering what it would feel like starting here, not at the Adelaide 500. And turns out Bathurst is a pretty fair substitute for the great street race over here in South Australia. Really cool start to the year. Lots of stories to come out of it. We'll touch on those later on in the show. But I think we need to talk to our first guest because what a performance this was over the course of two 250k races. I reckon if you said to Mark Winterbottom, last Thursday, how are you going to leave Bathurst with a, uh, a fourth and a fifth, third in the championship, and your team's going to be third in the championship. I reckon there wouldn't be too many scenarios that would beat that for him. Frosty, would that be about right? Yeah, hey, guys. Um, yeah, great weekend. Uh, it's always the unknown, you know. You, you come up to a, a new season. Um, my car had a lot of work done over Christmas. I was walking wounded for a lot of last year just on the road, um, and, you know, Charlie and the team, put a lot of effort in and, and revamped the car. So I was, I was quietly confident that the car would be a lot better than last year. Um, but when you set your goals, uh, you've got to be realistic as well. So, um, yeah, two top 10 shootout appearances. Uh, yeah, ninth starting spot to move up to fourth mm. and then qualify sixth and then move up to fifth. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic weekend. So uh, to come away third in the points, um, you know, that, that was fantastic. And uh, we can build on that as well, which is really nice. So um, that's the best start I've had to a championship in my 17-year career. So I'm feeling, yeah, feeling good. Um, ticked a lot of boxes. And you just you kind of like break the ice a bit just for round one because everyone goes in saying, I'm going to win this year because of this, this and this. And then sort of the filter stops half the fluff and you get a fair read on it. And at the moment we're in the mix and 11 rounds to go to keep doing what we've got to do. But um, yeah, really good way to start. Uh, How did you find starting the year on the mountain, Frosty? To be honest, um, 
being a bit of a traditionalist, I didn't like it. Um, it felt strange. But uh, on the flip side, um, because I just I just felt like the shootouts, they're, they're so much fun. Mm. But do it in October. Like I love the fact that one lap on Saturday and you wait all day to just go for that one glory lap in October, um, sets the scene overnight, builds the momentum, leads into mm. the race and you start the national anthem sung and that's that's Bathurst with you know 200,000 people over the weekend camping yelling cheering um that's Bathurst to me um the only thing I love was that we got to race on the best track in our country let alone probably the world twice with two qualifying cracks in that side from a from a lover of driving cars at good tracks I loved it but as a traditionalist I, I don't like the fact that we started at a track that to me, is is remembered for the one thousand. So um, two, yeah, two different feelings on the place, but to come away third in the points, I love it. So um, <laughs> I like that side of it. and were pretty quick to point out that any data that you'd had from previous trips to Bathurst could probably be thrown out the window, seeing it was such a different set of circumstances, weather-wise, and all that sort of stuff. Was that pretty much the way it was? You know what? Um, it's it's a really strange thing because. It's very hard to explain to people that track condition can change that much. And, you know, October last year, Cam Waters did a lap that that was bloody impressive, a 2035. Mm. Um, and the same guy gets pole position in the shootout, what, six months later. The corner still goes left at turn one. The corner <laughs> still goes right at two. It's the same thing, two and a bit seconds off the pace yeah. pole, like, and the, the evolution and the track change and stuff like that, you know, places where you don't lift, you know, a couple of days ago we were lifting and it just changed the dynamic of the circuit. So um, those, those shootout laps, really, really slippery. And the, and the reason for that is one, less cars on track, less track time. Um, normally the shootouts on Saturday afternoon, low UV, clouds covering, a lot of shading and the track cleans up as opposed to 12 o'clock midday, um, shootout times and stuff like that so um yeah i find shootout laps really enjoyable but those ones on the weekend they were hard work the car moved around a lot and you know the team want pole position but they don't want a bent car and and to be honest it was on the edge um and for me i qualified sixth at best and i felt like that was living on the edge so uh, yeah pretty greasy and tough conditions and a, a different physical challenge to start the year there as well, because even though it was warm, certainly on Sunday, I, I think we hit 30 degrees, so it would have been fairly toasty inside the cars, but you don't quite have that concrete canyon of the 500 as well to, to deal with. So like, do you feel fresher now than perhaps you would have after an Adelaide doubleheader? Yeah, it's it's funny. I felt like Bathurst was so un, unphysical. You know, I thought it was easy. And mm. um Adelaide, you end up with blisters and back pain and all sorts of stuff. Adelaide hurts. No, it doesn't matter how fit you are. Adelaide, you know, the 500 hurts. But um, it's a bit of a mental game too because um, Bathurst on the weekend, it was 40 laps. Uh, our final three stints of Bathurst at the 1,000 after you've driven for three days is, is can be 70-plus laps. So yeah. for me, um, being told 40 laps, it actually felt really short. And it's bizarre that 250Ks for 40 laps versus Adelaide, you know, 250 Ks for 78 laps. It's a mental game. And those long straights and all that sort of stuff, I felt fresh and actually hopped out the car Sunday and drove back to Melbourne that night. So I drove another seven hours home, 
after the race, I felt that good. And I can guarantee after Adelaide, the trip from the track to the airport's hard work. So, um, yeah, it felt fresh and felt good. And uh, a lot of it's mental. Like I said, it's it's a strange thing knowing that you only got to do 40 laps versus, uh, you know, 70 odd at the 1000. So it's it's mentally you you had it before you even hopped in the car. Cheers, Frosty. We uh, have got an amazing championship on our hands in 2021, one would say. Just looking at the calibre, you'd be a, a silly man to go and throw your house on Shane Van Gisbergen for the championship, even though he's had a fantastic start to the season. There are so many blokes. I think we've got 120 points between the top nine after round one. So there are so many guys who could take out this championship this year. Yeah, there is. And um, people are going to make mistakes. That's That's going to happen on the weekend. There were some mistakes that I saw that uh, that blew me away because they were basic basic mistakes from some guys, but they're fast. And when you're fast, you get points, and they don't make many mistakes. So when they do, you've got to capitalise on it and, and, and get points in the bag. But um, Van Gisbergen, Waters, Mostert, they're, they're definitely the benchmark at the moment. They were fast, and uh, you know Van Gisbergen's pace was fast, but, man, Mostert on Saturday... Um, couple more laps he was ridiculously quick doing doing sixes for those amount of laps so um yeah really really quick and at the moment on the weekend we didn't have that that speed of those top three um but saying that i think we're in that next group of guys but um but now we've got to work hard to catch those three they're they're the, the benchmark at the moment so um but like i said we're third in the points and um and, you know, survive your bad days and, and make your good days. Um, they'll, they'll come and don't make mistakes when you have a chance of bagging points. So, um, yeah, long way to go. But, you know, when you look at Van Gisbergen, um, pole position, um, two race wins, uh, he, he was in good form. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. But it sets the grid, doesn't it, for the year, mm-hmm. really. There's guys that have had mistakes already. And uh, they're hard points to get back come December. You won a championship in 2015, so you know what it takes. When you look at everything around you at the moment, and as you said in your own words before, your best start to a season, have you got what it takes to win a championship this year? Um, you know, we should get better. That's that's the thing. Um, we've had Richard Halloway, or Krusty as he's called, um, join the team, and he is ridiculously good. I really love the way he goes about it. And... Um, my engineer, Manuel, um, he is one of the best engineers I've worked with. But now I think we've got the structure uh, as well as Phil Keed and, and in that engineering group to really drive us. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, on the weekend, like I said, there was guys making mistakes when I feel like I had a faultless weekend. Um, not necessarily the quickest car, but good race pace. Now the laps in quality, got the most out of it and finish six but I know we can get a better car than that because it, it, they were tough conditions but that's not by any means a perfect car so um we yeah we can get it better um there's tracks I love Sandown uh Tassie Pukekohe they're my three go-to tracks and they're coming up in the calendar so yeah there's definitely you know we're in the mix um but it's no good doing it one round and being bad mm. the next. so we're going to turn up to Sandown do the same again, if not better, and um, and build as the year goes on. But it's interesting. It's going to be a like anything. It's going to come down to December, and if we're in the mix and we're, we're a dark horse, really. Like I, I wouldn't say we're the powerhouse outfit at the moment, but 
we can do the job, I think. And come December, if we're there, um, we'll have a crack, that's for sure. Mm. What, one of the interesting things last year, Mark, was was watching the inter-team stuff between co-drivers or between teammates as well. And Triple Eight had both cars at the front pretty much at every round. But after that, DJR was, was Scotty for 90% of the year. Um, Tickford Racing was very much the, the Cam Waters show last season. The same could be said for BJR with Nick Perkett. But, and even with you guys at 18, you know, Scott would have terrific weekends and you'd have a really strong weekend. So how much focus has gone into getting both cars up the front and being consistent at, at every round? Because you're third in the team's championship now after round one, which I'm sure Charlie would absolutely love to keep going. But it strikes me that this year, getting both cars in a team consistently towards the front of the field is going to be one of the big subplots within all these little storylines we've got playing out. Yeah, for sure. And, um, uh, you know, you, you've got to, I guess, work as a team. And when you've got a teammate pushing you and it's it's healthy, then it's great. If it's not healthy, then it can work against you as well, which we've seen. But, um, but yeah, I think, and that, that also comes from engineering and having mm. Richard Halloway oversee it. Uh, he's not on a car specific. So there's no bias. It's not my car, your car. And he really can spread the, the, um, the setup information amongst both cars because just through creature of habit, when you have an engineer who works on your car, he's on, he works for the team, but he's on your car. And on a race weekend, they pretty well tunnel vision down and, and do their job because it's, it's so busy. So having Krusty there oversee it, um, massive, massive asset. And on the weekend, I knew exactly to the nth millimeter what was going on in car 20. And he knew what was going on in my car, which um, it means you work as a two car team. So, uh, that's been a big improvement for us. Um, and other teams, you know, I look at, uh, you know, Waters clearly at Tickford's the, the one attack there at the moment, and he's doing a ridiculously good job. Um, and Van Gisbergen and Wink Cup, it was strange to see Jamie struggle the way he did, and, and struggle means sixth and a seventh or something. Yes, yeah. You take. Um, but to see Van Gisbergen dominate and Wink Cup not right on his heels, that was, that was a bit odd too. So um, I'm sure it'll chop and change throughout the year. Um, you know, the DJR guys as well, I think, uh, I wasn't sure how good McLaughlin was, but now he's gone and seen what's mm-hmm. happened. I've probably got a lot more respect for him than, than, uh, you do when you're competing. So, um, you know, he was obviously a massive asset for that team. So it's interesting what's going on, but, uh, yeah, you focus on what you guys can do good and, and, and well, and, um, you know, like I said, it's early days with Krusty there. So mm-hmm. love the way he goes about it. He's not all propeller he's he's quite realistic and um we need that because we've got a lot of smarts um but you need some structure and you need to know what's going on and he's uh, he's a big asset you know i love the comment um that all realistic that's that's got to come after being at gary rogers motorsport for as long as he was i, I actually wanted to ask you ask you about cam waters mark and you, you brought him up and and we were all impressed last year with how he really grabbed that team and grabbed the opportunity, I suppose that he had with, with the changes in Tickford racing, that he was the de facto lead driver, even though they'd, they'd never come out and say there was one. Um, and he really capitalized on that. What, what's that feeling like? Do you, do you sit there and go, gee, I've, I've got to perform. Is it something you actually think about in your thought processes as you're preparing for a race meeting or do you, do you, is it more of a subtle behind the scenes thing when you're, stepping up in, into that position of being a, a lead driver in a, a top flight team that can contend for race wins week in, week out. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, um, you know, Cam, I've got a lot of time for Cam. He's a good mate. And 
spent a lot of time with him there. And um, that lap at Bathurst he did last year in the shootout, that that sort of stamps your authority that that you're one of the good ones, you know, because yeah. um, that lap was ridiculous. And, and um, I texted him straight away. I wasn't in there and sort of had a bit of, um, uh, you know, I was, I was fangazing a bit at him, telling <laughs> him how good a job he did and then realising I had to race him the next day. But, mm. um, yeah, really proud to see how he's going. So he's taken that on well. But the, the thing about him is um, he doesn't really care about anything, you know, what opinions, whatever. He's just, he's a good kid, um, works his backside off and drives hard. So, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's obviously really good. But Tickford definitely has pressure. They're a team that is well-followed, um, got, a, got a big fan base um, for that team, and they've done well for years. So, um, you know, them struggling uh, is not really acceptable type thing from the outside. So, um, at the moment, he's clearly the one that's leading that team, and... Um, uh, yeah, he's doing a good job, but yeah, the pressure, no doubt. Um, maybe not as much as it was back in the day when Ford sponsored it direct, so it was the factory Ford team. Mm. But um, but yeah, Tickford, they're a powerful, uh, powerful team, and and they have to do well. So um, it rests on him really at the moment. He's he's the standout. So uh, but yeah, knowing him, I know he's the right guy for the job and um, deserves that leadership at a young age. He deserves it. Final one for you, mate. Uh, what was it like being at a race weekend that was sort of close to normality, I suppose, considering what you went through in 2020? And have you learned anything from 2020 that you've translated into you in the way that you prepare for a race in 2021? Yeah, I probably don't trust it. That uh, <laughs> when you pack your bags, don't pack it for <laughs> one weekend. That's probably one of them. But um, no, it, you know, last year was tough, regardless of, uh, you know, what, what people see and think, I guess it was tough because we packed for two weeks and come home five and a half months later um, and, and didn't get a lot of support really. Like the teams took it on and, and did most of the work. And that's, we're lucky, you know, people like Charlie uh, put us in good accommodation. He fed us well um, and looked after us as well as he could and made the pro the journey as <laughs> painless as possible. But um, as a sport, it was, it was tough because, things were happening and rolling and changing so rapidly. So, um, you know, teams did a great job, but, um, but what you learn, you know, even on the weekend, seeing people wear masks on the grid and stuff, it's just, it doesn't, that no, it doesn't sit well because for me, um, the sport is about the fans and, and the interaction and, you know, Bathurst last year was an anticlimax getting on the grid and no one around. And it just did, it feels like you're a club racer and that, that sounds crazy, mm. but um you just felt like club racer on the weekend. Uh, I went and did a bunning store appearance before the weekend and there's the vibe and, Oh, he's the hero. He's the villain. I like you. I don't like you. It's, it's cool. Nice. Like that's, yeah. what, that's what right. makes sport. And um, otherwise without fans and without that interaction, we're just racing really cool cars around cool tracks and it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem right. So um, uh, yeah, what, what we've learned just, I think the sport has to be on the front foot. Um, take control of a lot of things and make sure that fans get to tracks. And that's, that's paramount without fans. I don't, you know, last year we got through it, but, um, but you need fans at tracks and, uh, and we also need to protect our crew and and team because without them, we don't have cars going either. And uh, you get away with it one year. I don't think you get away with it with multiple years with, with families. So um, yeah, learn a lot, but hopefully the sport has too. Well, you've definitely looked after your team and crew this weekend, both cars coming back to Melbourne in a straight shape 
and will be uh, firing for Sandown. Thanks for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on a great start to 2021, and uh, let's hope that it can stay going. Yeah, thanks, mate. Bring it on, Team 18. That's where it's at. His name is Garth Tander, and he joins us for a chat. Hello, GT. How are you? Uh, hey, Shebex. Hey, Rich. Uh, you're very kind. Thank you very much. Oh, no, mate, it was uh, definitely the popular vote over the weekend, and congratulations on the way that you just fitted in to that full-time commentary-type role of uh, doing some races up in the box and then doing all your stuff down in pit lane. How did you take to it? <laughs> um, I really enjoyed it, absolutely. I was a little bit apprehensive going into the weekend because obviously um, it's a big change to what I'm used to going to racetracks for. But um, had done a, done a reasonable amount of actual race calling before, so um, that was probably the thing I was most comfortable with. Um, hadn't really done an interview at all ever prior to the weekend. So thanks to the V8 team, they rolled me out um, Shane Van Gisbergen first. So that wasn't very awkward at all, having to interview Shane. That was the first thing I did. Um, uh, and knowing what he's like, I made sure I wrote all my questions in such a way that he couldn't give me one-word answers. Mm. Um, so he, he tried it on, but, um, but it seemed to go okay. And then, yeah, got more comfortable as the weekend went on, certainly with the with the uh, interviewing stuff, um, I had no idea that I'd be doing the Armorall Pole Awards or the or the Victory Lane prior to the weekend. So, um, yeah, each of those got better from Saturday going into Sunday. So, yes, yeah, still sort of treat it like a race car driver. I've written a heap of notes and um, things I need to improve, but um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Prep is everything, isn't it? And um, how did you go with? Uh, and I would imagine that this might be something that you're accustomed to given when you're driving halfway through the 1000, you've got an engineer yelling about fuel economy and you're discussing changes to the car. How do you go mid question and you've got Tunners, the producer in your ear going right now after this, we need you to wrap quickly or throw to Neil or do something differently. How do you go processing all of that? Uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad. That stuff actually. Um, they were very kind. Tunners was very kind early in the weekend. Wasn't doing a lot of that. Mm. Um, sort of chatting in my ear while I was talking with other people. But as the weekend went on, um, maybe I just started hearing his voice in my head and he wasn't actually talking, but there was a lot more of that going on, So, which was good. Um, they want, you know, there was, we, we said, you always sort of have a bit of a plan when you're interviewing someone like when I interviewed Tim Slade on Sunday morning after his crash on Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted to, you know, obviously had to address the elephant in the room, which was the crash, but I wanted to get onto the, to the positives on the weekend for those guys. But Tunners wanted to hear a little bit more about, you know, what Slade was, Tim was feeling, you know, we've got some those pictures of Tim sitting on the side of the track as he just got out of the car. And obviously the, the reality or the enormity of that situation that hit him. So just, you know, it was great to have that sort of um, in, in my ear. And, and, you know, I, I felt like I navigated that aspect of it reasonably well and, and we'll get better at that, obviously, as I do more. And I hope your relationship with Brad Jones is still okay. <laughs> yeah, I heard actually. Um, Paul Gover from News Limited, or oh, his new, um, uh, you know, motorsport journal. He texts me on on Saturday night. And he goes, "Are you banned? Are you actually banned from Brad's garage?" I said, oh, geez, not that I know of, but I don't really want to go in there anymore because there's always bad news when I'm in there. So, um, so yeah, look, that's that. <laughs> Having been on that side as well, and you know, when it feels like just the whole weekend's just caving in on you and. And obviously they had a bad weekend and, um, you know, whenever you see a car that's in trouble on track, I just made sure I was in that garage. I got to that garage as quick as possible just to find out what was going on. And 
I'd call up the producers and say, oh, I'm in the BJR garage. So I ended up interviewing Brad three or four times when they <laughs> had all those problems. So um, hopefully at Sandown I can whip into the BJR garage and, and talk about something um, positive with those guys. As a journalist, we find it fairly easy to disassociate ourselves from a driver who's been in a difficult situation and you can ask those questions with a little bit of a, a clearer mind because you haven't been in that position before. Do you find that that's going to be a tough one for you in situations, especially the Tim Slade one or things like that, where you actually have a, a bit of empathy for what the guy's going through because you've, you've been there? No, I think um, the, the way I was sort of wanted to do things was just try and ask, the que- ask questions in such a way that helped the drivers explain exactly what was going through their mind in that scenario or exactly what their emotions were off the back of either success or failure, whatever it may be. Um, you know, and, and potentially, I mean, I, I wasn't going to ask Tim, you know, what would you do different because that was sort of half a mechanical thing, but just try and always tell the, try and tell the story from the driver's perspective and, and try and, um, you know, as you said, Shebex, I've, I've been the driver on the driver's side of things for so long. Um, you learn very well to ask, answer questions that, that avoid the question. Mm. You actually answer in a such a way that doesn't actually answer the question you're being asked. Yeah, so I try that. and ask the question in such a way that the driver will sort of warm to the question and 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 um, and give you give us something, give us a bit of you know a little bit of nugget of something. You know, um, I'm very much not a journalist, and I never will be a journalist. I'm always want to tell it as a race car driver helping other race car drivers tell the story. <clears throat> Uh, we want your thoughts and feedback as a broadcaster now on, on this year's Supercars Championship. But before that, you were in the com box with Chad Nalon calling Super 2, weren't they? Just a couple of little gems of motor races. Crackers. They were awesome races, particularly the Sunday race. That yeah. was um, a great race. I mean, there's a lot of storylines going on in the Super 2 Championship with Brock Feeney and, you know, everyone's anointing him as the heir apparent to Jamie Wincup's seat. Um, so there's a lot of storylines around that, around how that's going to play out, the expectations on Brock, will the pressure be a big thing? So he went and delivered in that first race, but then Sunday it all got turned on his head, on its head. Um, you know, the Triple Eight cars didn't qualify well, so they were stuck in the pack. Jordan Boys and um, Jaden Ojeda had a big battle, and then um, yeah, there was plenty happening. So that was, really, that was really exciting. So I'm really looking forward to how that championship plays out. As far as the Supercars Championship, I mean, those guys... Both Shane Van Gisbergen and Cam Waters just picked up where they left off from the 1,000 yeah. in reality, didn't they? Um, and we were obviously denied a great race on Saturday with Cam's power steering failure. Uh, look, I mean, I get to see it very closely, but Shane's in very good form at the moment, isn't he? He's, you know, he went to New Zealand and everything he sat in, he won. Like he, and he sat in a lot of various different cars, you know, speedway cars, rally cars, classic rally cars, Um what else did he drive over there? Jeez, Toss, Toyota Racing Series. Break, he won the yeah. Grand Prix because he set the fire extinguisher off and had to start from pit lane like an idiot. So, <laughs> um, so he's just in very good form. He's in the right part of his, you know, age bracket, early thirties. He's been at that team for a long period of time. You know, he's just got everything going for him right now. So his form's strong, and I genuinely think Cam Waters has got something for him this year. I do. I think um, Cam showed at the end of last year, probably the last third of last year, that he's definitely got the form and the speed and the car. Um, I think the question mark really is around the team as if they can continue to give him fast cars week in, week out and get the strategy right. I think they slipped a little bit on the strategy on Sunday. 
They didn't get that right. They should have absolutely short field to stay in front of Shane and keep the pressure on them. Um, Shane may have got him in the last pit stop, but at least keep the pressure on. By coming out behind Shane, that just released all the pressure in that race. So um, I'm sure they'll they'll look at that internally and and um, and um, continue to fight strong. Yeah, all, all the wind got sucked out of the place on Saturday when when that car failed, and we sort of from there the result was not certain, but certainly much more assured in the way of car 97. Um, give me your thoughts on Chaz Mostert as well. That was a really impressive debut, and it, it sort of picked up where they left off last year. They were very yeah. strong in parts throughout last season, perhaps not quite as consistent as they'd like to be, but gee, they they seem to have taken a little bit of a step forward, perhaps going into this year. Yeah, they genuinely have. I think he's certainly in the top four as far as championship contenders this year. Um, You know, obviously having 12 months in that team uh, with his engineer, Adam Debore, they sort of know now what the strengths and weaknesses of that package are over every racetrack they go to and every format and every tyre. So obviously they've done a lot of work in the off season to rectify what they think their weaknesses are going to be. And um, I've worked with Adam Debore quite a bit in the GT series and he's a very smart cookie. And obviously clearly he and Chaz have a very strong relationship and a, and, and a very strong working relationship. So um, yeah, I, I do. I think they'll be very strong and they'll only get stronger with, when Grant McPherson comes on stream later in the year. Um, I worked with Grant the last two years at Triple Eight. Uh, at the Enduros, and um, he is amongst the best engineers I've worked with in pit lane. He is he is top class, and he will bring another layer to that organisation. So um, I'd expect that though you know we saw the Walkershaw cars. I mean Bryce Fullwood was strong all weekend too. You know he was just yeah. outside. What was he? He was fifth on Saturday. Yeah, and in five and ten on Sunday. Mm. Um, so you know those cars will be strong, and they'll get stronger certainly as the year goes on. How important is it going to be for teams this year, Garth, to actually have two extremely competitive and consistent cars each weekend, more so than we've seen in the past where there's been one car who has been the lead car and the other car has been able to finish seventh or eighth and they still get up and, and you know, get close to winning, if not winning the, the team's championship? Oh, look, I don't think it's all... I mean, obviously, clearly, the teams want two cars at the front all the time. It's good for good for the race team. It's good for the drivers. Keeps the morale up. It's good for the team's championship. Um, but it, it is difficult keeping them there. You have um, when you've got two cars up the front. You've got to manage um, double stacking in, in the races with strategy. You have to manage egos because drivers have them. They're quite large. Um, you have to manage quite a lot of things. So um, I think you know you, you'll see that. That teams will want, you know, they'll they'll quite early. I think they'll start getting behind one car um, because it's it looks like it's going to be a championship that's fought out between four or five drivers from probably three or four different teams. Yeah. So um, so at some stage, you know, they'll not you know it's not that they'll throw races, but they'll certainly prioritise a car in the championship for for, for strategy and, and things like that. Um, but you do need fast cars in the back half of the year. You do need a fast teammate in the back half of the year because then that your teammate then takes points away from your opposition in the championship. So um, managing all that is is quite a challenge. Um, you need a fast teammate to make sure that you're pushing each other. I mean, I think the best teams work when you've got two drivers that push each other lap time-wise. They push each other for motivation, push each other from a fitness perspective. 
um, you know, and push each other from getting the most out of the race team, both sides of the garage. So balancing all that is tricky. You, you have to manage that. And we've seen that go very, very well in the past, and we've seen it fail spectacularly as well. Um, consistency was, was key for Scott winning the championship last year and, and car 17 was good everywhere. It, it felt like that was something T8 struggled with a little bit at yeah. some rounds. They were, they were off the boil and, and weren't quite as fast as they would always be. So adapting to those different racetracks as well, we go to Sandown next. So fundamentally different to where we've just been. And then Simmons Plains, little bull ring after that. So that consistency in a shorter championship as well, Garth, we're down to 12 rounds. That's going to be a, a big storyline to follow. I would have thought this season. Yeah, it is, and and that mechanical DNF for Cam Waters on Saturday, huge. You know, it hurts bad, big, straight up to have one of them early hurts a lot. So, um, you're right, Rich. It, you need to be getting good, solid points in the bank every time you're on the racetrack. Um, so that that uh, consistency from event to event, format to format, tire to tire, because we've got yes. three tire compounds this year with the the hard, the soft, and the super soft later in the year. Um, so just consistency is a thing. I mean, that was always a mindset that, that we had, you know, all the way back to Rick Kelly and I when we were at the dealer team. Race wins were good, but your average finishing position was the key. Was That was the number. So it was always looking at your average finishing position. So the better that number is, the more likely you are to win a championship. Garth, before we let you go, Teams have a three-week break, get ready for Sandown, a totally different track, totally different situation race-wise again. Uh, it's sort of nice to be getting into some sort of normality again, isn't it, where we've got a couple of weeks between races and you can sort of prepare and plan and it's oh, not a bad thing. Don't put a moz on it. No, 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 no. He did this two weeks ago, GT, and we still haven't forgiven him. We set him off to have knee surgery. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, look... I think it, it would be nice, absolutely, um, that we can have a clean year. Um, I, I still marvel at um, particularly the Victorian teams, how they went about last year and and kept the show on the road and the, what the sacrifices they had to do. And in and, and reality, the, the, the work that the championship did to ensure that there was a, a series um, and there was racing. I mean, those back-to-back weekends, I think, was a good idea. Um and yeah, like I said, the Victorian team's being on the road. So let's hope, let's hope that we have a, a clean year. Um, certainly as the year, I think as the year goes on more and more, we're more likely to have a clean year with things like vaccines and border closures becoming less and less of a thing. So uh, yeah, look, it'd be nice. Um, there's um, actually, I think a lot of the drivers are actually doing a lot of driving. There's a GT series race coming up and then even after that the the six hour production car race at Bathurst so yes. a lot of the a lot of the main game guys are doing a lot of different racing this year which is good to see yeah Slady announced for that today yeah. Shane's in that field as well and a couple of others um what about you what have, what have you got in the cards from a driving point of view this year uh doing the GT series yep definitely doing the GT championship uh still looking at trying to do some TCR races um, but probably only on weekends that are already GT weekends. So doing yep. double double headers, sort of like what I did in 2019. Yeah. Um, because the kids don't want me going a lot of racing because they selfishly now want to go racing themselves. <laughs> so, um, which oh, I love, I, I really enjoy. So um, yeah, so we just finished the Bathurst Supercars weekend. The kids actually raced on the weekend while I was away. They're racing again next weekend. Then I've got the GT race at Phillip Island. Then we're at Sandown. 
So um, I think I'm on an, I'm in the just at the beginning of an eight week stretch at various race tracks and go kart tracks. So, um, but love it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Fantastic stuff. Well, uh, mate, congratulations again on uh, your debut performance down in uh, pit lane and the like for uh, the uh, the network and uh, also for Fox over the weekend. And uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks. All right, Krause, joining us for the entertainment part of the show. Is <laughs> because our first two guests were rubbish. They were extremely entertaining, actually. Mark Winterbottom and also Garth Tanner. This guy goes all right, too. Mark Walker, how are you, buddy? Shebexter, I'm just happy to see your smiling face. Isn't that? Isn't it good, Krause, to have him back up and about Robo Shebex? Yeah, because my reign of terror was horrible for the last couple of weeks running the show. Hey, we, we should ask, because we haven't covered this yet, we, we dived straight into our pair of uh, Bathurst champions and supercars champions. How's the knee, Shebex? We need yep. to know, and your many fan are keen to know as well. So we are just on two weeks since the operation, right. and yeah, it's pretty good, actually. I, I was surprised with the lack of pain that I've had. I sort of haven't had that, you know, excruciating crying, why in the hell have I done this type thing? Pain has been sore. I won't doubt that. But I think the drugs that they give you mask any situations that you might get yourself into. I've been walking on one crutch. I've been doing all the exercises. I don't, yes. it's, I'm nearly there. Well, the, um, you, you mentioned the drugs. That's interesting because some moments you popped up on the old group chat and, mate, you were higher than <laughs> Skyline. It was, uh, it was, you were chatty. You, you were yeah. loving life. So that's, that's good. Glad you could enjoy a, a weekend in front of the couch. No, and uh, glad I could be uh, TV back so quickly. Glad I could be back so quickly. Mm. Thank you for, uh, for looking after the ship for the last week or no, two. Pleasure. It was good fun. Mark Walker, uh, your take on what was a Bathurst weekend that really wasn't a Bathurst weekend. It was good fun, wasn't it? Uh, it's always good to have motor racing back on the TV, back at Mount Panorama. Uh, it answered some questions, but it's probably brought up many more that still need to be answered. Uh, you know, SVG went out there and donged them, um, which I think was what we sort of expected from him. But where was Triple Eight? Because Wink Up was nowhere. It was a bit of the Triple Eight from last year where they had one good car and one car nowhere, and they were a bit inconsistent. And they didn't quite know what they were doing. Will SVG keep donging them? Because that's going to be the question that's going to have to be asked at the upcoming events. Obviously, Sandown is next up in a couple of weeks, and that's been a very, very happy hunting ground for Triple Eight in recent years. What are we going to get there? That's a very good point you bring up. And I was going to ask Garth this one, Richard, but I thought I wouldn't because of his involvement with the team. Yeah. But we spoke about teams having two consistent cards on each weekend and how hard that is to get it going. And he actually said himself that one team that both teams will start to now focus, all teams, so we'll start to focus very shortly on just one car. With Triple yeah. Eight, will that be Van Gisbergen? Will Win Cup still get his tilt? Well, look, I would have thought by the time we get to Darwin in June, we'll know. Like, if, if they're first and sixth or seventh in the championship like they are now, um, they'll go, righto, you know, we've, we've, we're running out of races. One of the remaining five rounds at that point will be the two-driver race at Bathurst where, where so many different things can happen. Yeah, it, it's going to be that way, isn't it? Because you, you don't want to be in that position where you get to um, the mountain or Pukekohe the week after and have teammates taking points off each other because it's a, a shorter, it's a more condensed championship. There's 31 races, but only 12 events down from 14 or 15 that we've had in the last couple of years. So while the opportunities are still there to go racing and get points, they're shorter, sharper, more aggressive races. And I think the plot will just move along a little bit quicker because of that, because there's less rounds 
in which to go and capitalize. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Boys, I, I wanted to touch, we, we, Garth was superb as always. And there's annoyingly talented human beings. He's good at everything he touches and all, all power to him. So he did a very nice job of marking most of the top half of the supercar field. There's a couple I wanted to pull out that I thought did a really good job. Garth mentioned Bryce Forward, and I thought he was great. He, he's one for mine I'm really looking forward to watching this year alongside Chaz in what is clearly a fired-up WAU and a team that's taken some some steps forward. But I thought the two Kelly Grove boys did a really impressive job. So Andre Heimgartner and David Reynolds won in each race, but genuinely had pretty good car speed, made some shootouts, looked pretty racy, dodgy rejoin aside. Um, oh boy. I, I thought they were they were one of the good talking points from the weekend. Well, which Walkinshaw and Trinity United have we got this season? Because that team does go very well at Bathurst. They do mm. do very well in the streets of Adelaide. They always start the season out strongly. Mm. A- and then for various reasons over the years, it hasn't quite worked out for them. So obviously they've started out very, very strong. Chaz fastest in practice on Friday, both sessions and, and up there in the podium. Uh, yeah, it's the best possible. Well, it's not the best possible way to stay out. You know, he could have been very, very doing what SVG's done, but he, he had great car speed and, you know, that he's in the conversation. He's still there. But you look at those guys like Waters and Deeper Squally who've lost points early. And we talk about it being that 12 event series. They've got catching up to do. And, and even Win Cup, he's 100 points off the pace. Mm. So, mm. you know, mm. you've got to get it done and get it done early. And, it's going to penalise those mistakes like Tickford had in their engine that ruled Waters, well, put him down to 20th position there on Saturday, which is very, very costly. It was uh, a Bathurst, as I said, but not as we know it, the Bathurst 500. It's probably the last one and the only one that we'll see of its version. Is there an opportunity possibly to run a Bathurst 500 again in the year or would it have to be the first race of the season? No. Which we know it's not going to be because that'll be Newcastle. No, I, I don't think so. It, you know, it, it was a strange experience, boys, being there. And and don't get me wrong, I, I loved every single moment of it. And, and it was just fantastic to be at that place. But it was a strange vibe. It really was. And, and I felt that while Bathurst was definitely the best place to replace the Adelaide 500 in terms of scale, in terms of TV um, marketability in terms of consequence because you want your opening round to have serious consequence. If you started it with the fullest of respect to Winton, if you mm. started there, it wouldn't be the same. You've got to start the year with a massive racetrack that requires you to put everything on the line like Adelaide did, like Bathurst does and like Newcastle will for this season opener next year, if and when that happens. Yeah. Um, that's I, I have no problems with Newey starting there. I think that'll be an amazing way to commence a championship. Sketchy, but amazing. Um, but it didn't feel like the, the problem was context and it didn't feel like a major event because the only thing we had to compare that to was either the Adelaide 500, where even in its smallest year, there were still 75,000 people on the Sunday watching from the grandstands. Or the only other thing you compare it to is the Bathurst 1000. And removing last year's from the equation, the Bathurst 1000 is a cultural phenomenon in Australian Mm. sport. So it felt weird. It felt low key. Harris Park wasn't full of all the merchandise alley stuff. There was some there and and it was well patronized by the people that were there, but it was only, you know, a third full. There was no people camping in the paddock. That was very, very strange. 
Um, there was a smattering of people down at Max Cameron, which is the campground behind turn one. There were a, a, a decent group, but not large at the top of the mountain. So even compared to a 12 hour, it felt strange. It didn't at least being there have that massive big event vibe. I've watched some of the TV back since it certainly felt bigger and brighter on TV. So I think they probably got away with it, but I don't think it's something that comes back. I think it's a once a year thing that fills a hole in an awkward year when Adelaide's not there and, and they're not able to run Newcastle. And can I say, Rich, I mean, I'm not as optimistic as Shebex and buying tickets to the Singapore Grand Prix and all that <laughs> sort of caper, but mm. I think people are just a bit wary of booking in their holidays, crossing state borders still. Yes. You just don't know. I mean, I, I was physically capable of going there in the weekend, but what if you get locked down in New South Wales for two weeks or whatever? Yep. You're stuffed. So unless you sort of really have to, and it was your job to be there, so you went yeah. and you got away and you're back home scot-free. But I think for a lot of people, just the COVID way of life until we get on top of things, it's going to be hard to make these moves in a state to go to these big events. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And, and it was definitely a factor. And and people I spoke to at the hotel I stayed at, at the, the pub you'd go to for a beer, um, they would note that all of their custom were, were locals or New South Wales. Yep. So very, very few people outside of the industry itself there. And I, I traveled because I had to. And, and I'm at the point personally where in my life I have to do it because I've got to work. So that's just the way it is. And I'm prepared to cop stuff if it comes up. Ultimately the, the best scenario is that we don't just randomly start closing state borders when states have done a really good job in, in tracking and tracing and things like that. Anyway, that's a, that's a different podcast. Um, but yeah, it, it was a really interesting experience, boys. I, I'm glad, I'm glad I've had that weekend. I, I was, it was so good to be there with everyone, but I'm, I'm glad we've had that experience because if anything, it, it makes you realize what we've had both at Bathurst and at Adelaide and at other major events compared to what the championship could be. If, if the series wasn't as big as it is and as impressive at putting on great events with big crowds and great corporate as it is, then that might be the norm. And, and that makes me appreciate how bloody good we've got it because this is such a great championship when something isn't quite at the level you expect it to be, you really notice it. And that was for mine the event vibe on the weekend. So if anything, it shows you how good our events and these championship events are that it didn't quite feel that good, despite the fact we're at Bathurst and despite the fact it had been so long since we weren't racing. The power rankings for the weekend have been released on the racetalk.com and have they not taken off? Wow. Yeah, that was a, that was a big one, lads. Um, Enormous. We have never received as many nominations for a category as we received on the weekend with punters sitting at home complaining about the TV graphics. <laughs> that is a record for the power rankings. I, I counted a hundred references to it, if not more on our socials. And we, I think we shared about 25 of them. Uh, you were, you were thereabouts, the trucks and all that sort of stuff for the TV compound. Was there a bit of sweating going on from executives? Uh, I know. Well, I don't know. Cause I stayed well away from that. I uh, plonked myself in the commentary box, which was sealed behind a uh, closed couple of doors uh, and about 150 metres from the TV compound and properly stayed there. So, look, not ideal. Um, They'll fix it. There's great people involved behind the scenes. But um, unfortunately, what it was that it was a complete architecture rebuild. That's like Gen 3 graphics. 
And unfortunately, they've ended up in the fence in round one with this brand new behind-the-scenes architecture. It wasn't just putting a new skin on a yeah. website, um, which has come to think of it, what we've done with uh, the race talk in the off-season and managed to get away with it without it dying. So anyway, um, <laughs> look, they'll fix it. it. It was unfortunate. That's the way it landed with a brand first round with a brand-new TV network. They'll, they'll sort it. They're too good to not sort it. But yeah. It, it will be incredibly frustrating to everyone involved because they, they take it so personally. Should be yeah. like, it's, no, a, I know. it's a source of pride for the people that make that product. Yeah. And elsewhere with the TV stuff, I mean, you were heavily involved with the support categories and they were sensational on the weekend. Mm, there was some they? really good racing from all the supports, even Super 2, TCM, everything was uh, red hot. You had Craig Lowndes alongside I you. Did. And that was grouse. Like that was grouse to listen to. <laughs> they found a good spot for him there and yeah. he did a grouse job. I'm talking about Bathurst 94 going around Bowery on the outside of Griffith's Bend. Yeah. That was, and I could see that you were high-fiving him through yeah. the audio. It was sensational. Yeah. Old mate just brought it up himself. Nice, nice and casually. A little, <laughs> little, uh, gave himself a pat in the back there. I'll and what was, and what was the line? You just don't go past anyone on that bend. Oh, well, one person has. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and you know, the grin Craig Lowndes has when he's grinning properly. It was yeah. that in the commentary box. I you couldn't imagine. see that, obviously, but that was the grin. He was quite chuffed with himself. I won't lie. Um, it was a little bit of payback to me, probably, because I stitched him up on Friday because we rolled the vision of him almost fencing the Museum HK68 Bathurst winning Monaro from October last year, yeah. um, which remains a source of consternation in the Lowndes <laughs> household, I understand, because um, they can't afford to buy that if and when he ended up putting it in the fence. So... Um, uh, yeah, so we, we dropped that on him um, as a touring car master uh, on the uh, Friday broadcast. So that might have been a little bit of a stitch up. No, he was good. Um, Garth, we've just had Garth on the show and, and we patted him on the back because he did a super job. But he's, mate, he's fantastic to watch commentate. He was very, very switched on, good in the lane, really good in the commentary box. Um, that was really, really impressive. So that that was the big takeout for me. We, we all knew Garth was good at it, but... Um, like, man, he's got a long, long future there. And honestly, uh, I got the opportunity to watch Seven all weekend because I was in the hospital. Uh, congratulations to them on their yep. first weekend. That'll get better as they go along. Uh, but I think they did a, she was, if you were grading them, you'd give them a B plus for their first weekend for sure. Yeah, I, I've not seen much of the Seven stuff yet, Shebex, but my understanding is my little mate, Jack Perkins, friend of the show, who was on a couple Fantastic. of weeks ago, did, did a the really crompo, nice job. Did the Crompo grid, uh, garage to garage thing at the end of yes. each day, yep. which is great. Yeah, he's good at that. Roland, he Roland Dane gave him a nice little slap along the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Jack could could talk underwater with those people anyway because that's his paddock. He's been there since he was a baby. So, um, no, look really good. And and I think Mark as well. Um, ratings up twenty eight percent on the Saturday, up a little bit on Sunday, which is a positive thing, especially given the amount of streaming on offer. So mm. you could watch all of the weekend's action for free on Ko or on Seven Plus both of them in HD, both of them ad break free. And yet the TV ratings for the traditional TV audience were still up. Yeah. And, and that was probably the, I reckon that'd be the most streamed weekend of supercar racing that they've had. I, I would, I would put money on that perhaps Bathurst last year, but um, yeah. So really good that it's a positive thing and, and not just for supercars. It involves and influences the ARG side of things as well. The Shannon's, we want people to be watching motorsport on seven and on Fox. It's important that people watch. It's great that they did in larger numbers than they did 12 months ago. So it's a positive story. The product itself will continue to improve of that. I've got no doubt. 
Yeah. Elsewhere there in the power running rankings, we gave Erebus a bit of a spray for their effort on Friday when uh, Will Brown demolished his car in practice. He was going super quick, but mm. yeah, there's a time and a place to be going super quick. And at the start of Friday practice might not necessarily be it, but they, they rebounded all right. They, yep. Their weekend wasn't a total write-off, but looking back at the stats last year, between David Reynolds and Anton Di Pasquale, they had four races all year where they didn't finish in the top 10. Mm. Erebus have started the year with two races where they both their drivers started out of the top 10. So it's obviously a step back for them. It'll be interesting to see because they've clearly got some pace still, whether they can overcome the all-nighter that they had that put them on the back foot. If they can keep turning out that pace week in, week out, yeah, they, they will surprise people. Yep. But that's one of those questions still to be asked. Yep, agree with you on that. Shebex, the other one I wanted to point out, and, yep. and it got lost amidst, I think probably A, the stories around Erebus and 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 Brody getting the shootout was a, a big story, and well done to Brody for doing that and, and Wheels Crash, and then the Brad Jones catastrophe. And there's probably mm. no other way to to mention how terrible that weekend was for them to get away with two top tens from eight potential top tens was an awful weekend for them. Um, aside from all the dramas, do you know, I thought Matt stone racing did a bloody good job. Um, quietly under the mm. radar, Zane Goddard and Jake Kostecki, they're 15th and 17th in the championship. They're ninth in team points. So they're in front of half of yeah. PJR, half of Tickford team, Sydney and Blanchard. Um, so Zane are 12th and a 16th and Jake 13th and 17th. But the thing that got me is they were legitimately competitive with the group of cars they were around. They weren't results that were jagged because of dramas or anything like that. They were earned results. So we, we singled out those boys in that super lights car as it was last year, a couple of times for, for just doing some really quietly under the radar performances. I think they've done it again. And, yeah, and I was on. just quietly impressed with them. I thought that was great. And you know what? They were quick at the test day too. So maybe that wasn't a fluke, Correct. but if they're getting the full triple eight data package, which triple eight can on sell and they mm. can clearly on sell all the go fast bits at the uh, head of the pit lane have, mm. there's no reason why they can't be competitive. It's just experience, experience and utilizing yeah. the equipment. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be a great championship boys. There's no doubt about it. And it'll return in three weeks time on the uh, Sandown track here in Melbourne next week though. We'll have a bit of a preview, I suppose, of uh, what promises to be a fantastic weekend for the uh, first Shannon's Nationals weekend at Phillip Island. Yes, Shebex, we will. Uh, so TCR back, Australian GT kicking off for the year, and I'm hearing whispers of about 20 cars for them, which isn't bad, um, and some good names in that field as well. Uh, it's the first round of Michelin Sprint Challenge for Porsches, and that series, I, I missed that more than almost any other series last year because Sprint Challenge 2019 with... Harry Jones and Ryan Sewell and Maxi Vidal were carving each other up in every single race. Mm. Like it was a world championship was brilliant. And, and that will be very much the same. Uh, and S 5,000 on Phillip Island. Finally, we get to see them race at Phillip Island. So the fastest cars on the fastest track um, and a really good fight for the gold star in, in what is round two or four for that championship. So yeah, we'll, um, we'll drag some interesting names onto the show next week to help preview that, but that's going to be a really big weekend down there. That just fantastic second. I've well, missed it. The good news is I'll get to go this weekend because I've jagged a ticket to the oh. Philip Island Historics. Outstanding. So they've limited it to 1,000 punters per day of the event, which is not very many when you consider that there's 350 entries for the race meetings. Mm. So uh, I feel blessed to have that up my sleeve and 
looking forward to heading down to the island first time in many years. Can't wait to see some of the photos that come back from that. Uh, Mark, Richard, thank you for your time this week. Thank you for the last couple of weeks, boys. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Uh, Thank you, boys. Uh, Nice to be back at work and at the racetrack and uh, cracking show, I thought, if we do say so ourselves. It was definitely. I look forward to seeing you (laughs) and speaking to you next week right here on The Grid. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.